welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. My name is Matthew Dawkins, and I am joined as ever by my co-hosts Dixie Cochran. Hello. And Eddie Webb. Hello. 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 What Hello. a fine day. What a fine time of the month we believe it is. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, although we are recording this episode early, uh, we anticipate, and this is going to sound very embarrassing if this isn't true, that the Realms of Pugmire <laughs> Kickstarter is currently ongoing, slash isn't currently ongoing, but will be soon, <laughs> slash the world is on fire. Why are we even talking about role-playing games right now? Oh, no, the last last one's always true. Don't worry about that. Yeah, but, you know, I'm trying to cover our bases. Anytime anybody says the world's on fire, I get a Smash Mouth song stuck in my head, so. See, I think of uh, Midnight Oil, Beds Are Burning, and I don't know if there's a um, lyric about world on fire, but when I think of how can we sleep while our beds are burning... Um, yeah. How can we dance while the world keeps turning? turning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, no, that's I, us sued for copyright. Uh, because you asked Eddie, it is All Star. Because near the end of it, he says, My world's on fire. How about yours? Ah, okay. And that's just a thing that I think whenever someone says the world's on fire. See, for me, um, I always think of the world as a vampire because I misheard it at one point in time. And I was like, What a weird thing to say. And I was like, Oh, you're talking about the song. Oh, no, you're talking about the world's on fire. Okay, it's just me. Got it. All right. <laughs> Hearing Lost Adventures. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lyric in a Queen song that I always miss here. And I have never looked up what the correct word is. What, 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 what do you hear? Uh, so, I, so it's in the song, It's a Kind of Magic. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a monster in third edition and previous D&D called Malagrims. They are specific to Forgotten Realms. They're like magic eaters, as I remember. Okay. And there's a lyric in It's a Kind of Magic that sounds like, The Malagrims inside your soul. Like that. Um <laughs> And I know it's not that. I know Freddie Mercury isn't singing about a specific <laughs> monster from the Forgotten Realms. And I could look it up to find out what it actually is. Uh, but I don't want to know. Uh, I want it to remain a mystery. Okay. In that yeah. case, I won't tell you. I don't think it's inside your soul. I think it's inside your ears or something like that. But either way, uh, Malogram inside your ears is just as unusual I think it's inside your mind. Inside your mind, that makes more sense. But to be (laughs) honest, Queen lyrics, Queen lyrics tend to have more. They're they're not the most lyrically strong band, despite what people Mm -hmm. think about Bohemian Rhapsody. But they are better than the rhyming dictionary of Muse, for instance, which is Mm. a lot of gibberish that is set up to just be in rhyming couplets most of the time. Um, But there we go. Look at us, already digressing, not even four minutes in. I I tease my boyfriend all the time because his favorite band is the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Mm. and they're known for just singing nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's it's fun nonsense. It's it's catchy nonsense. Mm Mm-hmm. But there are definitely times when Anthony Kiedis is just making mouth sounds. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing? Uh, speaking of Queen being lyrically difficult, I took uh, I took sign language in middle school mm. um, for like two semesters. Mm-hmm. And one of the, our last projects was to uh, sign a song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I thought I was going to be fun and do uh, Killer Queen. And then I realized that I had to fingerspell Khrushchev, Kennedy, Moe, Shandon, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and I switched my song. because yes. We Will Rock no. You would have been a lot easier. I think I ended up doing Help by the Beatles. Oh, okay. Uh, which yeah. is uh, way easier. Uh, but yeah, having to fingerspell all the names in Killer Queen, I, I was like, this is going to take me forever. And also, I barely know how to spell Khrushchev as it is. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> he does, there isn't a specific sign for Khrushchev then. No, 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 no. <laughs> names, names you generally have to fingerspell. Yeah. Speaking of which, though, um, I am genuinely in awe of uh, ASL translators who work at hip hop shows. I love watching videos of them. I know they're so amazing because they have to be quick witted. They often have to to either improvise signs or or try to fingerspell very very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, they're usually also have generally a very high energy and it's just like oh my god i am i am just i am hope you're making lots of money for what you're doing because you're so good at it yeah no totally <laughs> they are really fun to watch they're they're like if if anybody has not seen that like go look up a video on youtube because it's super fun watching people like mimic the energy of the song yeah mm. while also interpreting the song to a different language um i can't imagine that's easy that's one thing that um, is interesting. A lot of people, I think, don't realize is that uh, ASL is not just hand language, right? Um, you're using your face, you're using your body language to, to communicate just as much as you're, you're using your, your hands and your fingers. Um, so yeah, you have to kind of emulate that energy. And mm-hmm. some of those shows, not only do they go on for a long time, but also improv is very much a part of the art form. So they have to roll with it real fast. Yeah. One of my uh, friends from Connecticut is deaf and she always said that she liked talking to me because I tend to do big facial expressions. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, not on purpose. I just have big, big facial expressions. If you see me on, you know, anything that we've, we've done on like Twitch, you've probably right. seen me make one. And she was always like, I, I, I love talking to you because I actually can read your face better than most people. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, like, cool. So now I know, like, whenever I do talk to anybody who has hearing loss or who's deaf, like, I I try to do that a little bit more even, just to make sure they, you know, know know the point I'm trying to get across. Right, because you're not going to, we're not going to get a a subtle intonation of, like, say, sarcasm or ironic humor, but if your face is also communicating that, then, oh, okay, I get that, 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 that sarcasm, okay. Yeah, totally. That was a fun digression. When I hear the, the, uh, I guess, ASL, it takes me back to my late teens and hanging around an MSN and Yahoo. Yeah, right. <laughs> very uh, different ASL. Very oh, yeah, different. yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> thinking back on it, uh, not to make the mood too sober, those places were havens for molesters. Oh, yeah. And uh, virtually or otherwise. Uh, and uh, I get the impression the asking someone's <laughs> age, sex, location immediately is predatory. Now that when you consider that there's a lot of safeguards in place, or at least there can be, in the way people interact with each other now, they don't immediately advertise all these things. I suppose I've never had cause to use Tinder or Grinder or similar, and I imagine they contain similar information. Uh, but now that I think back on it, and being like a 16 or 17 year old and a random person would just drop into my personal messages and say, hey, ASL. I'm thinking, ooh, now in retrospect, that was a little forward. That was a little groomy. Yeah. A little, little, little uh, creepy. Looking yeah, back the, at the it. Yeah, the number of people, as soon as you said you were, you were male, blocked. Oh, 
okay, I wonder what that person was after. <laughs> yeah, gee, I wonder. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, oh, oh well, happy news, happy news, kickstart. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're the late 90s fun. <laughs> Well, I think a lot of us, uh, well, obviously of a certain generation, do see the 90s through rose-tinted lenses, as many generations see their decade through rose-tinted right. lenses. Um, there was a few months in the 90s that one might argue were utopic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which months were those? <laughs> uh, uh, so I would say bef- just before the internet became truly prevalent so let's go for somewhere in late 95 fair enough and Britpop was on the rise again so this is obviously speaking for me i can't speak for the american experience Mm -hmm. the cold war was over uh there was a sense of buoyancy to to the country uh we were going through some renewal in the uk as well labor was on the rise again i don't know when i think back to that a little snapshot there i suppose that would put it in early 97 um i would think oh there's not a trouble in the world well of course there were troubles in the world there's not a trouble in the uk (laughs) right now (laughs) and then it was all over because of icq and aim and yim and msa (laughs) and all the rest i blame (laughs) chat rooms we could have we we could have made a shangri-la if it wasn't for the internet and it's funny because like um looking back now um i kind of mentally divide the 90s into the bit that was basically the 80s and the bit that was basically the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same, same. <laughs> because um, uh, for a while I was, uh, this is going to sound really bizarre. I was following a podcast about the Sonic the Hedgehog British comic from the 90s. Because as one as, does. As, as, you, as, as a perfectly normal person does. Um, <laughs> so I, I was, I was you know, reading along uh, on those because all of them are for, are for scans and they're not legally available anywhere for reprints because of comic reasons so um but i was reading along and it was interesting because like the first couple of years of issues are very kind of handwritten letters a lot of the contests are kind of you know garish 80s kind of plastic tat uh stuff like that and then uh somewhere around 96 97 suddenly it's like you can send email to us and like the whole tone of the thing kind of starts to shift with over the course of like a year mm. um as email gets involved because also there are a video game magazines so they're talking about like all the different sega stuff and so the dreamcast is hitting and all the exciting new things are going to happen with 3d and online stuff and it was really just kind of how i was amazed how fast it kind of went from you know that kind of 80s 2d console thing to online intercourse well, it's re- that's a really interesting thing because even in the through the the prism of role playing games, uh, if you recall, I'm sure you do at the uh, the opening page of all the old White Wolf books mm-hmm. would advertise the address for yeah. White Wolf, and of course you you mm-hmm. manned the phones when you first joined White I Wolf, did. didn't you, Eddie? So you know that was a time when fan mail, actual physical mail. And phone calls to game designers were a thing. You know, the, the the era where you used to cut out coupons from the back of your cereal box to get an exclusive Sergeant Slaughter G.I. Joe or whatever. Right. It, obviously, that's the 80s as well. But the 90s was such an interesting hinge point with technology. And because of the internet, more so, I'd say, than anything else, mm-hmm. is. The the way a lot of those uh, old White Wolf books are manually laid out, 
And then by the end of the nineties, it's a lot more. It's page well, maker, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, we have embraced modern technology. So yeah, so this episode is a look back on the nineties. <laughs> 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 Remember when? Well, I started playing Vampire in ninety nine. Um. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I started playing D anD D in ninety two. And, and actually, uh, uh, you can talk about that too about the the technology. Uh, because um, I don't think I've talked about this much, but like around the time that uh, CCP sold the World Art and stuff to Paradox, uh, I was actually working at and then a consultant for uh, CCP. And they're like, most of the people who worked in role-playing games are no longer with the company. We need someone to come in here and just categorize stuff hmm. because they bought all the assets, right? And so there was uh, about a year's worth of actual paste up. Rich has talked about this before. Or they actually have big boards where the pages are pasted up on. Yeah. There were some files with those in there that I had to kind of go through and say, okay, this, this book is that book. Um, but a lot of it was these, these huge binders of CDs and DVDs. Uh, uh, you know, they would get the files, they would just burn them for, for a really long time. And... 80, 85% of them, I was able to kind of just pop into a computer, look at the files, go, okay, there's these books, put them into a spreadsheet. And, and it was it was very dull work, frankly. But there was a group of them that I just couldn't read because they were too old. Mm. And I remember working with um, uh, uh, Brian and he would, we actually went on eBay to try to find an old enough Mac that could read those <laughs> discs to open them up to find out what was on them and then convert them into a newer file format. So we had this big, huge kind of those big, uh, uh, when they were, the Macs were super colorful, they had the giant screen and not much else. Um, There's basically just like the, the Macs were like a big, like kind of just triangular bubble, plastic mm. bubble. Mm -hmm. um, we had to get one of those and it was just sitting in the warehouse because it was there purely for people to get, you know, oh, this, this doesn't work, try it in the old Mac. And, and so it, it's wild because like now I'm just so used to backing up in different ways. It was the, not only was DVD-ROM weird, but also that there were stages of it, you know? Yeah. And then right. again, like, you know, again, it's from, from 92 to roughly 2008-ish before we're backing up to a server. You know, it was the watching all these books, you know, which book was hitting at roughly what time and what format it was being saved in. It was, it was a really interesting experience for like the first 45 minutes I did it, and then it was another week and a half of just put disk in and copy down files, pull disk out. <laughs> <laughs> did you find anything weird on there? Um, I did find a couple of weird things. Like I found some old um, advertisement mock-ups, which are kind of neat. Uh, I did find some of the files for when uh, White Wolf was doing non-game fiction. Like they had like the, um, the Elric books. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I found some of the files for those. Um, I found the uh, book of Vampire Erotica that was published. I forget the name of it. It's probably for the best. Uh, the book of erotic fantasy. Oh, no, 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 no. no, 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 no. Um, there was a book of they, vampire yeah. world artist fiction that was erotica. Oh, God, I forgot what, about that. What's it yeah. called? Something Hearts, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, something. Yeah, you're right. Something Hearts. I don't remember the first word. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm sure there will, there will be people when this goes live posting it in the Discord. Right. Uh, most uh, of us have read wasn't it. Wasn't it Eternal Hearts? Eternal yes. Hearts. That's uh, yes, it. It's, 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 a, yeah. it's a name that is far too kind 
Uh, right. And it was, I was like, <laughs> I don't remember this book. What was it? And I started opening up. I was like, oh, oh, no. Yes. Oh. When I got to the scene about the Bruja who had keys on his cock ring, I was like, okay, yes, I know what this book is now. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to write an erotic fiction book that prominently features, like, Sasha Vikos, it's going to be a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, and I also found, um, apparently, the Camerola fan club did a calendar at one point. Because oh. <laughs> I found the files for that. <laughs> oh, well, where everyone was sort of leaning in brooding fashion. <laughs> I think so, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it was wild. I was like, I know these people. Oh, it's a Camerola calendar. That's yeah. that's so wild. Because it's right. Because the Camerola is owned by, by White Wolf for, for a minute, so... Yeah. Huh. But anyway, I, I brought that up mainly because, yeah, it was it was interesting to see kind of, it was a point where the technology changed in retrospect fairly rapidly mm. over the course of the 90s. Um, and that's why I kind of mentally had that, that divide because now, while the software is updated and the computers have gotten better, obviously, we don't make books that much differently in 2023 than we did in 2010. So yeah. it's a whole decade and a half True. where we have some, we write things in word, we send them to uh, uh, Mike, he puts them out in, in design. Um, in design has not really changed much in the past 13 years. Uh, it more or less has evolved. Whereas before then it was kind of, it seemed like every few years there's a new piece of software, there's a new technology and new way to, like there were files backed up to uh, LimeWire. Wow. Oh my god! Yeah, right. That's a fresh best. <laughs> That's where I got all of my music for many years. Yeah, uh, I I suppose the next step is that you would be writing directly into a template and have a program that would be able to load those templates without any layout issues. Uh, I'm I'm sure that kind of thing already exists. Obviously, for anyone listening who doesn't know. Uh, as Eddie said, we, we write in Word that then gets converted via various Adobe programs into PDF, uh, which is laid out in the way that we need our books laid out. So there's obviously the borders, the, there's uh, the, the boundaries, the divisions in the pages, there's room for art and so on. Uh, there's still an awful lot that's manual about it. Um, I have no doubt that there is software out there where, hey, here's your template. Now write in this as if it's a Word document. Right, um, but even then, that that's kind of just a refinement of existing tools. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, I mean, it was it was more like you know, hey, you know, like we were all in a page maker, and then okay, now we're switching to in copy or in design, mm-hmm. and that was a huge kind of shift. Mm-hmm. So page maker wasn't really around for all that long in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, uh, again, it's just like just the fact, just changing from CD to DVD, you know, like that, uh, you know, that that's, we could store so much more on DVD, and now we don't store on disc at all. Yeah, I think I probably still have a bunch of DVDs. So when I first got into, no, they would have been CD-ROMs, I guess. When I first got into role playing, and one of the people at my club said, "These are the CDs we pass around," and they right. had pirated. PDFs on. Uh, Mostly of, I guess it was, this must have been about 2002 or 2003 because there was this massive bulk of D20 third party uh, product. Right. And I suppose the thing that looking back on it is a little unusual to me is how much of it existed. Not, Not that there wasn't a D20 boom, obviously there was, but how much of it had been scanned 
I can't remember how well it had been scanned, but bearing in mind this was before a time when people were largely running games off their laptops or right. using PDFs mm-hmm. at the table, the fact that someone had gone to the trouble of buying, I don't know, the Book of Daggers for mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to, to go for for a, a book that probably exists uh, for third edition <laughs> D&D and had gone to the trouble of scanning every single page, compiling it into a PDF, uploading it to somewhere like LimeWire and then sharing it with other people. It seems it seems insane, I guess, but but, but I'm sure at the time it felt very exciting. Well, uh, yeah, and, and again, going back to the time, like, you know, um, uh, we talk about the open game license and that, that meant, so I'm segueing into our topic. Um, when it first came out in like 2000, it was also hitting right at that cusp when not only was desktop publishing becoming actually viable because uh, the technology to make your own game on a computer was getting relatively cheaper. Printing now moved to actually a four color printing. Um, And uh, only a few years after that uh, were PDS actually being bought and sold as commodities. Uh, Mm -hmm. So you have this kind of amazing confluence of events where the world's most popular role-playing game basically said, yeah, it's okay to make your own products based on our stuff within these limited guidelines. And people go, I can make this in my house. I don't need to have a whole publishing company just to make this stuff. So it, yeah, it exploded and people for, for a while, you're right. It wasn't quite sure what you could do. Cause like, you know, is this really a book? And I mean, I'm not stealing a book from a store, so if I have this digital copy of it, that that's okay, right? You know, you wouldn't download a car, obviously. But... <laughs> I would if I could. <laughs> 3D print it. And looking back at some of those old ads, even then, it's, it's like they weren't quite sure how to frame the problem of piracy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we joke about it now. You wouldn't download a car because, like, you know, it's but it's a, it's a physical thing. Obviously, I wouldn't do that. Um, but people download files and 3D print them all the time. Right, so now you can download a car, which is hilarious. <laughs> but this this uh, talk of, I guess, the OGL and D20 brings us on to, uh, obviously, a topical topic uh, in the form of the OGL controversy right now. Uh-huh. When you look back at that massive boom of D20 products in the early 2000s, I guess, mm-hmm. the... The, the I guess, communal factor was all of these products were considered open gaming license. Right. Uh, and m- the vast majority of them were released as supplements to D&D. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they weren't their own role-playing games. They existed too. There were some. Uh, m- mostly, weren't they weren't fantasy, to my knowledge. You know, there was an awful lot of, I guess, reinventing the D20 system while adhering to the OGL to make modern games, sci-fi games, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but an awful lot of what was released for the OGL was a source book for Dungeons & Dragons. And I wonder... And I don't know how much of this is just me being ill-informed. I put my hands up. Uh, I'm putting them up right now, listeners, uh, (laughs) to say that there are certain aspects of what the OGL does, what it covers, what it actually constitutes, that are completely beyond me. Because to me, the layman, I look at the OGL and I think, is this just a label you affix to your book to make it appeal to fans of D&D. 
because to to clarify, if I wrote the book of daggers for third edition Dungeons and Dragons and made no reference to the content that was in Dungeons and Dragons, I just used the D20 system to release a book of 100 interesting daggers with plus two modifier, plus three modifier, flaming damage and all this other stuff. But I didn't say this can only be wielded by this class or whatever. I would still probably put the OGL in it because implicitly it's a D&D product, even if I can't use the words Dungeons and Dragons. In right. It. Mm. Uh, but I feel like I would be doing that to attract a D&D audience rather than to cover me because I'm ripping off Dungeons and Dragons, if you see what I mean. Yeah, and um, uh, uh, I actually have a lot of thoughts on this. Um some of it is uh, actually historical research I've done. Some of it is talking to people at both TSR and WotC at the time. Uh, and some of it is obviously my own research for, for making my own OGL game. But uh, to, to kind of give context for it, ripping off Dungeons & Dragons has been around since as long as Dungeons & Dragons has. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, the Judges Guild put out D&D supplements like the next year after D&D was released. So that's like 75, I want to say. Uh, and there was a lot of back and forth about that. Um, it never quite went to court, as I understand. But a lot of lawyers are saying this is this is false and fair use. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the contention was as long as it's not confused in the marketplace for an official product, it should be fine. And so... And that was that was the argument. It's like you can't use these words, Dungeons and Dragons, but you can make them compatible. Uh, and that's actually I think that's where the word compatible first enters uh, the TTRPG lexicon is around this these discussions because they had to have a word that showed it's not official, but it can be used with your game. Uh, so that's been going on had been going on for decades. People were doing all sorts of, of unofficial third party stuff for D&D anyway. Uh, the big shift with the OGL and full props to Chris Promise who used this language is where I came across it. It wasn't really a license so much as a peace treaty. Hmm. Uh, it was saying, listen, here's a, here's a slightly more constrictive way of doing it, but as long as you follow these rules, do whatever the hell you want. We're not going to look into it. As long as you put this license back, we're never going to question hmm. you on it. Um, and then good old White Wolf ruined it for everyone. Uh, because they said, great, here's the book of erotic fantasy. And they're like, okay, so we're going to put an amended license. <laughs> Please don't publish porn. <laughs> and it's, oh, okay, well, okay, I guess, I guess not porn. Maybe it's fine. Um, uh, and so from there on, yeah, it was, it, it was really more of a, you could have done this anyway. You signed up for it because you had peace of mind. You can make it. And if you look back at a lot of the early 2000s OGL stuff, uh, because, for example, you could use certain iconography. I think the D- there was a D20 icon you could use for compatible stuff for a minute there. Hmm. Um, uh, but a lot of them were explicitly supplements to D&D. Like uh, there was a Babylon 5 game, but it required you to own the D&D uh, manual. Yeah. And because that's the way the license was presented because like you can't, because the the way they wrote it was you couldn't present character creation. And the way they contailed that is they didn't publish the experience points. So their logic was, if you can't go up and level, then you can't (laughs) 
use the game. Uh, which in retrospect seems bonkers, but yeah. that was the logic, right? <laughs> was like, uh, and, and someone came at the idea of, what if I just put different numbers down for experience? Yeah. And at that point, the GD is out of the bottle. And a lot of people realize you can make OGL games that are basically whole new games. Um, there are a lot that come out at this time period, but I think the most kind of iconic at this point is probably a Mutants Masterminds. So like we do a whole superheroes game using D&D style mechanics. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's interesting, like right now, there's a uh, discussion in, in, in lots of uh, Twitter and uh, DJRP spaces, Facebook, whatever. And there's an ongoing complaint, like everyone wants to play D&D, everyone wants to play D&D, why don't they play anything else? And it's like, yeah, but we were having that argument way back in 2002 uh, because it was the, every game wanted to be OGL compliant because that's where the money was. It's like people know D&D, so they put out stuff because that's where people are buying D&D stuff. Even if they're selling a non-D&D game and they go, oh, well, then I'll buy that because it's like the game I already play. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. So if the market, that's where the market is and you make stuff to go where the market is, that means more people are only seeing D&D type stuff. And so kind of the cycle continues. And there's a lull in there around fourth edition D&D, but ultimately that's kind of what's been going on from 2002 about now. Uh, so when I first said, I want to do Pugmire to Rich, I was like, I want to do something that is evocative of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I could do a whole new system. And at one point in time for briefly, I did consider it, but it's like, well, hell, the OGL is out in here at this time. It had been uncontested for 15 years. So it was basically right. rock solid from a legal perspective at that point. Mm hmm. Uh, and it's like, well, I'll just use D and D. Um, I originally used three point five uh, because while five E was announced, um, it had there was no SRD for it, uh, and I did not want to use the GSL of fourth edition. Uh, so I was just heavily rewriting third edition, and then five, fifth edition came out right before the Kickstarter, and so I rewrote again to kind of use some of the. I was already designed that way anyway, and fifth edition just kind of took those steps a little further. So it's like, oh, okay, well, I'll just kind of take those bits on, but keep the other stuff that's not related that's still going in my own direction that I wanted to. It's yeah. not. So it was never a fifth edition game. It was always like, take the best bits of fifth edition that were doing what I want to do anyway. Might as well keep that language because that way people who are familiar with it can more easily adapt to the stuff that I have changed. That was always the intent. But right before the, musingly, right before the Kickstarter, there was no license. So the, er, the early access of the Kickstarter used protecting language from third edition. And then the OGL sorry, the uh, SRD for 5th edition came out during the Kickstarter. So I was able to do a revised version out to fans that, that used the language I wanted to use because I then could use the OGL for that material. I didn't realize it came out during the Kickstarter since yeah. I wasn't like hardcore in the industry at that point. Like I had edited Pugmire or I edited it after the Kickstarter maybe. Mm -hmm. But like I, you know, was watching the Kickstarter and I was very excited <laughs> that it was right. doing so well. But I definitely didn't realize that the uh, 5e rules came out during that. Yeah, yeah, no, well, yeah. The five E rules were out. The SRD wasn't, and that's kind of right, right, right. One piece I'm more confused on is like the, the OGL. Maybe it's good to explain for people who aren't as embedded in this. When we say OGL, we're talking about the open game license, and that is a license that was put out that was modeled off of other open software licenses put out by Wizards of the Coast in 2000. Um, that basically says you can use these materials that are documented in a system reference document in these specific ways. Uh, so it's not, you can use anything Dungeons and Dragons. You can only use anything that they put out through this system re resource document or system reference document. Uh, and then, of course, like I said, they put out 1.0b 1, 1. to add a morality clause, effectively. Uh, 
Uh, and so, the, so when we say SRD, we're talking about this is the body of material that you can use in your work. Uh, there's some gray areas, but there are also some areas that Wizards of the Coast specifically protects. There's certain monsters you can't name, the Dungeon Master you can't use, can't use the D&D logo or language, blah, blah, blah. Um, over the years, people have basically laundered D&D books by saying, um, uh, I'm going to write this whole new stuff that looks really close to D&D, and then I'm going to release that as a system resource document. And so mm. now you can use this other D&D stuff through this different lens. And so as you get to later OGL-based books, you see like uh, all the books they're citing is like a laundry list of books because again, effectively kind of transmuted what were potentially protected material into SRD material. Um, but Pungmar wasn't any of that. Uh, and the idea was always, I wanted to make the Dungeons and Dragons, the fantasy game system that was you remembered playing 20 years ago, not the one that actually existed. Uh, and so it's like, yeah, why not use D&D for that? Because I can get as close as possible to that. But it was never meant to be identical. And we ran into problems with that actually over a few years of Pugmire because people kept assuming it was 5B compatible. And it's like, it's not. It, mm-hmm. it, you can do the work to convert it, certainly. And Travis actually put out a document, which I then uh, bought from him and incorporated into Barry Bones. Um, of like, yeah, here's how to convert OGL stuff into it and vice versa. If you want to, you can. But uh, it's not, you can't just drop it into a 5e game as is and it works because it won't. No. Uh, so when second edition comes around, uh, I was like, okay, I want to take it further from that actually. I want I want to do the best things that are made for Pugmire. But at the time I was like, why not just keep the OGL? It, at, at, at that point, 22 years. It's like, might right. as well just put it on there. It's a little bit of layer of protection in case someone gets squirrely. No, no, it's part, part of the OGL. Um, but like almost nothing I was using at that point was from the SRD. Then the hammer falls, uh, and by the hammer, I mean the leak. It's a leaky hammer. It's very confusing. <laughs> it's a hammer full of water. Oh, God, yeah. Just, actually, it's just a sloshy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, but uh, so so it, it is implied that the new version of the Ojo coming out, that, at that time called 1.1, um, would nullify the original SRD and you'd have to use the new, or th- sorry, well, the original OGL. In order to use the SRD going forward, you have to sign up for this new license. Um, whether that can be done or not has been debated to death. You could find a million YouTube videos and Twitter threads about whether you can or can't do that. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, I saw that. And after a minute of initially being concerned, like, oh my God, do I have to scrap everything? I sat down with Rich, we talked it through, realized that there's not much of mine that's really based on SRD anymore anyway. So I'll just rewrite those last and just drop the OGL. Uh, because there's no, it, it's now becoming a hindrance. Um, and I, th- I think that's, I think it's kind of the work, to, we, we, the, the, the point of it. Um, but uh, it does bring to mind that this is, this kind of deep dive into what's going on here and why that's relevant is one of the reasons why sometimes when these things pop up online, you're not going to see an immediate response from us because I had to not only get good information and try to think through the ramifications of it. It took time to do that. I had other stuff going on in my life, but whether that was going on or not, I still hadn't until that time. We had to discuss as a company how we wanted to handle this because 
Technically speaking, I am licensing this to Onyx Path, so we as business partners need to talk about how we want to approach this because it impacts both of our businesses. And also to kind of see what happens in the discourse, right? Like sometimes uh, uh, these things change. And now something that after a couple of days, I, I started to really get less worried about because I was like, I know how companies work. I, I, I've been on teams with legal discussion and I know sometimes these things change. Actually, let me give a, a great example of this, uh, talking about CCP. I love examples. There is a game that I will not mention the name of. Uh, I don't know why I'm not, why I'm protecting name this person. It, name it. I'm just not going to. Uh, okay, it's Vampire on Death. So it's a game called Vampire on Death. <laughs> By Mikhail Akim. Um, which was pretty obviously ripped off from Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, and this came out while I was working at CCP. Um, and... I don't feel bad talking about this because CCP no longer owns license, so the, their decisions no longer impact how Paradox works. I don't, I can't speak for Paradox Legal. I will never speak for Paradox Legal, as far as I know, unless they ask me to. I mean, right now, I, I, don't, I don't see it happening. So this was a whole <laughs> legal team ago, a whole owner ago. But um, the legal team was like, "Listen, we don't speak role playing game. Uh, could you go through this and help us at the, what they call uh, points of similarity?" That's right the point of these kind of legal teams is it's not maybe you didn't specifically use the same words but if i can pull together a document to show how many things are extremely similar to this other thing i can then make a case in court for market confusion um i asked uh, uh ian and rose bailey both to kind of help me out with that uh and we compiled an extremely long list of points of similarity uh, and presented it to, we, uh, they sent uh, uh, legal notification to the, the people who published the game. Um, I don't know what the result of that is, but ultimately they started going online and saying that they had been contacted by legal and that they were not going to do anything about it. They were going to continue publishing the game because their argument was CCP can't patent the concept of vampires, which was never the legal argument. Legal argument said, no, we can't patent vampires, but we can patent vampires that are arranged in clans of which there are seven, one of which are artists, one of which right. are blue bloods, one of which are rebels, one of which are were changed into werewolves, one of which are ugly. Um, and they all have a code of silence in which they work together. They've been working together for thousands of years, and they have into uh, feudalistic structures in which one person is in charge using like a, a feudalistic title. Right, exactly. <laughs> and that's just off the top of my head stuff, like the disciplines that involve being able to sense people while connected to a group that is ostensibly mad. I mean, these are all the points that we were able to pull together. Hmm. And at the end of the day, they're, they, they looked at it and was like, what are we going to get out of this guy? Uh, and they just decided not to pursue the legal case because it wasn't worth the time and money. Um, so I am not saying Pugmire is not worth the time and money to be sued. I think it is definitely worth the time and money to be sued. No, 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 no. <laughs> I am big enough to be a threat to Wadzi. No, in no, fact, no. we are emailing them to let them know. <laughs> we're, we're inviting them. We're saying, come right, on. No, no, no. Um, uh, but I mean, that, but that's kind of... of Calculus we have to do, right? Um, and, and I personally feel like we have a strong... I, I've been reducing those points of similarity. I've been, I've been on the other side of this, so I know kind of what things they're going to look for. I've been reducing those. Um, uh, I, I, But even then, like, there were very few to begin with. I'm, I'm not... It, it, this is not filing serial numbers off, per se. Pugmire was its own distinct game, and it was always that way in first edition. It was going that direction even further in second edition, a lot of the changes I've been making over the past couple of weeks are, are 
pretty minor. It, it, it's language, really, just phrasing things a little differently. Um, in fact, I made a lot of changes in the manuscript just from me rereading it again and going, oh, actually, I could phrase that better. Um, not out of any legal protection, but just not looking at it. That actually doesn't make sense. Let me go ahead and revise that. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the language uh, uh, changed. I, I was actually able to do some, some stuff that I wanted to do, but I didn't want to because I felt like I needed to have some kind of connectivity to the first edition. Now, with that off table, I can do stuff. Like, you know, um, it always bugged me. Here's a real deep dive into Bugmar. In first edition, I changed fire to heat damage. Right. The reason why I did that is because it's cold damage and heat damage. That makes sense. Cold and fire damage doesn't make sense. Right. It should be like ice and fire or something. Right. And so it's like, well, so I, I changed it back to fire. And then it's like, well, I have to change all terms. It's like, well, what if I just change cold to ice? Now I can do that. Um, and because that, that makes more sense to me. It's like fire and ice. That, 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 that's logical. That makes sense. Um, so like that's something that always bugged me. It's like that should be. But, but if you want to stay with the SRD, you have to keep that connection there. I don't have to anymore. I understand people are nervous. I was certainly concerned for a couple days there. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but at the end of the day, I don't need this. Uh, frankly, a mm. lot of the people who signed up for the OGL don't need them. Uh, and you probably see a fair number of companies making announcements to the effect of we're just taking the OGL out of our books. And they're going to have varying degrees of success on that. Uh, 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 but it also comes down to if they're worth suing, good luck. Um, but for Pugmire specifically, it was always a nice, it was always a blanket. It's like, you know, let's just throw this on here because it's a shield. Now it's not. Now it's actually the problem. Take it back off. It's not protecting us anymore. Move on. I don't remember what the question was. Uh, It was about 30 minutes ago, I think. Uh, (laughs) It was about the 1990s, Blur or Oasis. There we go, yes. I I could hear the modem screaming as you answered the question. That's right. (laughs) And everyone knows the answer to that is Blur. Right. No, I, I I didn't mean to go off on a rant there, but I, I thought it was worth, since we're talking about it, kind of going into my mindset of, of why this, because I, I don't want people to look at this and go, oh my God, he's going to be sued. We shouldn't back this thing. No, it, it's going to be fine. No, I, it is worth clarifying. And especially given the fact that the entire OGL Farago has been, well, it's been the hot topic of conversation all January now, and yeah, yeah. I'm sure it won't die down in, in February. Right. Uh, we're obviously aware, as a company, uh, if a company ha- can think, uh, of the ORC, or ORC, uh, that Paizo right. have mm-hmm. come up with, and a group of companies have, uh, as far as I know, well, they've either aligned with, I don't know whether that means they've signed up to it, I I don't know the details of that. Um, mm-hmm. And we have been asked uh, by a few people, are we going to be signing up to this ourselves? And I think if if we have any kind of view, I mean, as individuals, we know the games we're working on and we know that none of them are based on the OGL presently. Um, and so they don't really have any need to migrate to an ORC or be created with the ORC in mind. I'm saying ORC instead of Orc just just for clarity. I right. think I'd feel silly <laughs> if I kept referring to it as the Orc. Sorry. Well, also, I, say, it's we, a good acronym. Yes, but we also say OGL and not Ogle. So, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we... Alright, we'll start saying Orc and Ogle instead. <laughs> um, 
you know that doesn't mean we're rule we will rule it out forever but at this time there is no need for us to take any kind of stance because there isn't there are no games that we're actively making books for that need to be under either license right uh, especially given what Eddie's just said about realms of pugmire you know it isn't an OGL game uh despite you know possibilities of it being so when it was first being uh, written and developed right and, uh, and, and and i think i think some of it is confusion of terminology and which granted we've been doing it this whole podcast so it's not yeah. like it's but like technically speaking it is not an ogl game it is an srd based game yes um and so a lot of people are going oh if you're an ogl game because you're looking at license you obviously need to convert to a different kind of open license so why aren't you converting to this orc Mm. Um, and so that's something that it took me a while to wrap my head around. So I realized, oh, I think this is a terminology problem. Yeah. People who aren't as savvy on the design side, really, there's two documents that are actually being referenced here. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, my game's no longer referencing any SRD. So I don't need any open license. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I've, uh, I know that Legal Legal did a really good video on like the the OGL leak and everything. If uh-huh. you want like an actual lawyer to explain things to them, because mm-hmm. um, I am not a lawyer, I I am not an expert in copyright or IP law or any of the things that this might right. might involve. But well, like, I've been going to you with my legal problems. <laughs> that was your mistake, buddy. Um, <laughs> That's why I keep losing. My my only legal thing is I played a lot of Ace Attorney, but other than that, I can't help you. But yeah, so like. I think some people are still confused about what the SRD actually does, what the OGL actually does, like the original one. Mm. Um, and one one thing is that WotC cannot protect things like the concept of rolling a 20-sided die. Right. No. Right? Because, A, that's been around longer than WotC. Like, if yep. you look up when those dice were invented, there are, like, some from ancient Greece that people find every now and then. Right. Um, so there are certain things they can't protect. What they can protect are, are, are certain terms. Right. Or monsters or places, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so as long as we're not using any of that stuff, we're like, it's not a big deal if we have, you know, rolling 20-sided dice against a difficulty number. Right. Now, now to be super clear, um, I, I'm not consulted a lawyer. Um, I did talk to Phoenix Wright. Didn't really respond to my email. I mean, you did talk to me, who handles Matthew's yeah. legal problems. So. Well, there you go, Sammy. So I talked to someone who's kind of like, who was been in the same room <laughs> as a lawyer. Um, I spoke uh, to Herodotus via a medium. Because <laughs> I believe that he invented the D twenty right. in ancient Greece, and I'm now intending on pursuing his descendants in court. <laughs> uh, I believe they're actually considered the Herodotus Trust. I don't think he has any direct blood descendants now, uh, at oh, least ma- not ma- that bear his name. Maybe they can hook up with the Arthur Grandola estate. There you go. Yeah, or, or the uh, what's the is it the Tilly Gilly estate, the Buck Rogers one, the Lorraine Dilly. Williams of TSR. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, that that one. So I understand Lorraine Williams's family is well. It's not connected directly to the uh, creators of Buck Rogers, is it? Because they are the they were the distributors and printers of Buck Rogers. I believe I believe that's correct. And they were always in conflict with is it the Nolum estate who was the creator of Buck Rogers? Right. Um, and so yeah, the where the dispute always appeared to be, it was between the creator and the distributor. But there aren't, and I may be wrong here. Correct me if I'm wrong, role-playing game historians. There aren't actually any surviving descendants of the Nolan family. It is literally a trust. So I think that works the same as the Conan Doyle 
estate in the sense that they are litigious. They keep pursuing people who try and produce things regarding Buck Rogers, yep. despite the fact they are just a... Uh, they're a bunch of names attached to a bank account rather mm-hmm. than uh, any kind of, I guess, descendant who is due to inherit a an IP, if you see what I mean. Right. Um, but yeah, that, that's me. It's been a while since we've gone off on a tangent, so do continue. <laughs> no, it's great. Um, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, I, we're, we're super clear. We're not, none of us are lawyers, and this is legal advice. Um, this is just my own research and talking to people, talking to not only people who uh, are my peers and colleagues in the industry, uh, uh, but also just um, like you said, uh, uh, looking at resources like Legal Eagle online, um, um, lots of other takes, uh, particularly there's a great article uh, by the Vitronic uh, Foundation uh, who do a lot of protection of open source contracts and, and licenses. Uh, and I could make a pretty strong case of just stripping that license off of it, making a new edition, calling it a day. I, I could have changed basically nothing and probably been fun. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the stuff I'm changing is, is for, for two main reasons. One, it's uh, a show of faith, a show that I'm intentionally trying to uh, uh, maintain uh, uh, non-compliance, I suppose. Um, it's like I'm trying to distance myself from the previously licensed product to make sure this is clear that this is meant to be a different thing. Uh, which the fact that it's a new edition, timing works really well for that. Uh, and again, a lot of stuff is in my head anyway. This is just kind of pushed. I use analogy before you're pushing a dog out the door, right? It's like, you know, the dog was almost out there, right? Just kind of get that last little bit of the button tail over the, the sill to get the dog out the door. Uh, so that thing. Um, uh, but the other uh, is is that it allows me to do my own thing. Um, so in a way, this is, I see this now as good uh, because it allows me to. I kept stuff because I was like, well, people first edition will probably want this here, so maybe I should just keep this way and not mess with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's like, I, I need to change it anyway, so I might as well go ahead and just make those changes. Uh, so, um, uh, again, there's like, I, I, Pugmire's not going anywhere. Um, we've already got some worst case scenarios, uh, but this is always intended to be the Onyx 20 system uh, that we're pulling out. Pugmire basically is, is powered with the Onyx 20 system, which is basically we're taking the Pugmire system out in a neutral way that we can then theoretically apply to other Onyx Path games. So this is always the path we're going down anyway. Um, this just kind of makes things a little clearer, actually, in the long run. But for me personally, as speaking now as Pugsteady, uh, given what's happened here, I am obviously very reluctant to sign up for another open license. This is base one. Can you hear us? Red leader, can you hear us? This is base one. Bogies on at your six. Uh, Come on, Corgan. Drop your payload, red six. Uh, so uh, I'm sure uh, anyone who's listened to this point will have been somewhat stunned by the sound effects, as yet undefined <laughs> sound effects, that will have terminated that recording uh we can't confirm for certain that a transmission from seattle uh tried to break into this podcast <laughs> and interrupt our broadcast but i i'm not pointing fingers it's actually a transformer from seattle a transformer from seattle it, it can turn into a coffee machine or a <laughs> <laughs> or a donut some kind of pastry that Captain would be Tron. the only time that i'd be cool with a character being named expresso 
espresso. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. The the most common mispronounced this mispronounced well, word yeah. for some reason. <laughs> most common mispronunciation, indeed, indeed. Uh, so I was a barista for a while. The amount of people who were like, "Can I get an extra shot of espresso?" I was like, "Espresso." Did you throw <laughs> it in their face and say no? No. But, but you <laughs> How dare you come into my shop and mispronounce things in my own face? Yes, that's 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 exactly how I kept my jobs for longer than one week by like, <laughs> screaming at customers. And I hope you kept referring to espresso as it's here in English. It's an <laughs> it's an English word. <laughs> I think it's an Italian word. It's yes, an Italian they, word. exactly. Uh, thus, where the irony lies. Oh, uh, so uh, I'm sure Eddie, you were talking about something deeply enthralling. <laughs> I was, I was babbling on like I usually do about Pugmire. Well, no, we were, we were interested. Um, the... and that's nice of you to say, but I don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, you were there, uh, Gandalf. You, you were there <laughs> when the OGL was first written. Don't quote the OGL to me, witch. <laughs> <laughs> Do not speak the dark tongue. Do not speak the dark tongue. Uh, so, <laughs> of the OGL. Uh, at this table. Um, well, anyway, anyway. Well, I, I mean, we were, we, were, we were talking a little bit about the ORC, and I mean, the only thing I really wanted to kind of touch on was that... Um, People are already seeing there's a lot of responses to this mm. change, right? And the change isn't even out yet. Like all of this comes from the fact that I've actually never seen this new license. Nobody has. No. At the time of recording. Um, so this is all speculation, but already people have made a lot of decisions. Paizo's released the ORC, Cobalt Press is putting out their own distinctive tabletop role-playing game system, uh, so on and so forth. So we're gonna see a lot of responses real fast. Uh and mm-hmm. for some companies, they need to make those fast decisions. I'm not throwing shade on them. Uh, but Onyx Path doesn't. We we have our own proprietary we have story path system. We're working on Story Path Ultra and we now have Onyx 20. Um, so there's not really a need for us to, to wade in on this. So no. uh, to your point was like, Etsy, why would we have a response to that? And it's like, there isn't really anything to respond to. I, mean, I hope it goes well for them, but we don't really yeah. need to be involved with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, obviously, there's something to be said for, to, for collective action. Sure. Uh, and... Uh, Especially in the face of the uh, of let's say Hasbro, for the sake of argument, uh, weighing in with something that may seem, let's say, unsatisfactory to <laughs> to yeah. people who want to carry on using the OG. Right. Uh, it it makes sense to form a unified resistance to that, uh, but it also makes sense to review your own stuff and see whether you have anything to add to such an effort and whether such an effort helps you. Uh, I think there's it's going to be a very interesting year, maybe longer, if this this doesn't seem like it's going to be a short-term thing. No. Uh, now that people have started making announcements, and rather quickly, I might add, mm-hmm. uh, about either coming up with their own systems completely divorced from OGLs and ORCs, or jo- throwing in with the ORC, whatever that entails, mm-hmm. whether that forms any kind of uh, yeah collective bracket of, let's say, 
of of a system that is used universally or terms that are used universally, just a label that is used universally, or whether this is more of a balkanization of the RPG industry and people start all developing their own uh, da- uh, dragons and dungeons fantasy game. Uh, <laughs> will be interesting. It will be interesting to observe, and I hope lots of people find work from it. And I hope that it galvanizes the role-playing game fan base. Well, uh, all, that... all I've gotten from all of this is that since you're obviously working on the world below, which is clearly a dungeon, you just need to put a dragon in there somewhere. It's already got dragons. This, See, there you go. This is my worry. I clearly need to just change them into <laughs> worms. I'll lure people in by calling them worms with a Y, you know. Ah. And then they'll just find out they're just giant earthworms. And I just <laughs> used an exotic spelling like George R. 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 Martin when he refers to a knight as Sir something, but he spells it S-E-R instead oh, of S-I-R. Yeah. I know, I know. Mortal Kombat with a K. Ooh. Yes. So, well, we so. do have chaos in the world below with a K, so I can't really... Uh, what have you done, Matthew? <laughs> well, you know, I clarified in the world below that you can still refer to something as chaotic without a K, but how you do it in terms of pronunciation is there are various communities and peoples throughout the world below who would actually say chaos with a K, which is K-A-O-S, mm-hmm. more as um, chaos or course or so you could say there is a um, a chaotic coursist uh, who is a chaosist without oh. it so that there's a clear uh, verbal discrepancy I guess or distinction yes because C and K sound very different when you say them out loud in English well I thought so <laughs> uh, well so yeah I mean this isn't the world below show uh, it's largely been the OGL show, but hopefully this will entice people into realms of Pugmire. Uh, <laughs> uh, a lot of the groups in the world below of playable options have what I've referred to as idioms and idiosyncrasies, I think I mentioned in a previous episode, which is ways they might pronounce something or ways or common turns of phrase they might have that are distinct to their settlement uh, to to better differentiate human groups largely because a lot of games sort of present humanity as a monoculture, which is boring to me. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, that's that's part of the reason for that. So they wouldn't say OGL in the world below. They would say Ogle or Ugly <laughs> or Ogle, Ogle, Ogle. Uh, so, or the ever controversial Ogil. Ogil. Oh no. Well, that they, they, they were that's heretics. The, that's that's yeah. That's that's the gif gif problem of mm-hmm. world below. <laughs> yeah, see. no one in the world below pronounces G's uh, as a soft. <laughs> no one. No one. No one ever. It's no one. it's just not done at all. That'll be interesting when I'm editing the book or you know looking through it and I see words like Chang instead of change. Oh, you're going to find this book utterly indecipherable. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's that's a great endorsement for a book. It's yeah. English, it's fine. I, de- I decided partway in that I'm going to really embrace the idea of their, every single settlement having their own language. So not only is every player going to have to learn their own character's language, uh, they're also going to have to learn regional inflections. No, I'm, I'm of course. 
not, not being serious. And uh, <laughs> and only occasionally do such things where they do appear appear in the text. Obviously, it is designed for readability first and foremost. Not much like Realms of Pugmire, Eddie. Ah, ah, we got a bag, we got a bag. Yeah, it's not like that's written in a bunch of woofs and meows. <laughs> I feel like now I've missed opportunity. I was say, maybe it should have been. The Ashcan right. version, I guess, the litter box version of Pugmire. <laughs> Roll one the die. box version. <laughs> I was ignoring that one. Yeah, the kennel. We'll call it the kennel version of Pugmire. Oh, that's even worse. It's just lots of um, woofs and barks and occasional numbers, plus ones and <laughs> minus two. Plus one meow. Yeah. <laughs> what does it mean? I don't know. Figure it out. As, as y'all are saying this, one of my cats is crawling onto my desk and the other one has just shown up next to me. So We, I think we found customers. <laughs> Quick, buy our game. <laughs> All right. So... Uh, I we don't have a link yet, but hopefully we will when this episode goes live. So do check the show notes below if you're interested in backing the realms of Pugmire Kickstarter, which I have no doubt we will be talking about on and off throughout the Onyx Pathcast episodes in the upcoming month. Yep. Uh, please do check it out. We're all very happy with this game, and mm-hmm. we're all exceedingly happy with the way the system direction has taken us. Uh, you know, not to mention the glorious artwork and setting, playable options, all the rest of that fun stuff. So, Eddie, you and your team did a sterling job with the Realms Thank of Pugmire. Thank you. I know it's my approval you seek out most. So. It's true. I mean, if, if I didn't have your approval, I'd just give it up on that. Yeah, burn it, burn it. I mean, I know it's a digital file, <laughs> but you, you can find a way. <laughs> um, I, I could fax it to myself, go back to that 90s thing Ooh, good idea. Fax it, then burn the fax as it comes through. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, Eddie, if people want to speak to you about burning rounds of Pugmire, where would they go? <laughs> um, so, uh, definitely uh, look at, um, if you want more about Pugmire, go to realmsofpugmire.com. Uh, my professional website is pugsteady.com. It's P U G S T A D Y. That's also me on Twitter. And uh, at the time you're listening to this, uh, if you want to know more and want to hear more of me chatting about Pugmire, uh, I'm going to be on Extra Credit's Twitch channel. Uh, I'm going to be on their um, Extra Breakfast uh, show and their design club in the first week of February. So Extra Breakfast? Yes, it, it, it's not just breakfast, it's Extra Breakfast. Ooh. Um, so feel free to uh, come by and I'll be chatting with the DC crew about Pugmire. Who've all, they've all been huge supporters of the game uh, throughout my life, so I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that they're happy to have me on to talk more about my baby. And Dixie, if people want to come to you for legal advice, where would they find you? <laughs> if you want to come to me for legal advice, you shouldn't. Um, but you can talk to me uh, on the Onyx Path Discord and most social media at Dixie Cyanide. And if people want to speak to me about why soft G's are heretical in the world below, they can find me on MatthewDawkins.com, on Twitter at DawkinsMP, and on the Onyx Path Discord, largely in the world below, and they came from channels, though I tend to have, hover around all over the damn place. I'm kind of sad that none of us have a soft G in our name, so I could make like a joke about it. Well, we like... could have had Pudge Steady, couldn't we? Or Pudge Meyer. <laughs> Pudge Meyer. I, 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 could, I could start going by Eggy. Edgy. Edgy, Eggy. 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 Well, on that note, many worlds, one path cast. <laughs> <laughs>